0: We have been given this opportunity to really slow down mm-hmm. and think about how we are in the world. And here's an opportunity to slow down what happens immediately after death. Yeah. You know, there's this whisking away. And instead mm-hmm. of that, there's actually an opportunity to sit with and be present in that person's life.
2: We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come
1: cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. Hello, Good Dirt listeners. Welcome to a special episode of The Good Dirt. We wanted to get it in here because it's super timely and uh, we're just so excited to talk to our friend Heidi today, especially as we move into Halloween weekend and All Saints Day or All Souls Day, which is the day after Halloween. It's also Samhain, as it was
2: known to the Celts.
1: Yeah, so what's the connection between Halloween and Samhain? Samhain, spelled
2: looks like Samhain, S-A-M-A-J-I-N, but Samhain is the Gaelic festival that marks the final cross-quarter day of the year. It's the halfway point between the fall equinox and the winter solstice, and it marked the beginning of winter for the Celts. It was a way of celebrating the old year's death, so it was associated with ghosts and graveyards, which linked It to the Eve of All Hallows, which is
1: our Halloween today. So I guess that translates to the Christian calendar as being the day before All Saints Day, which was a day to honor those that have died. And so the evening before was a time for the spirits to be out and about, so to speak. Yeah, it
2: was a time when the veil between this world and the next was more permeable. It was more
1: transparent.
2: There's less of a separation between this world and the next or the living and the departed.
1: Yeah, and I loved Halloween when I was kid. I still love Halloween. It's just so fun to me. What are some of your favorite memories? Well, that's a good question, especially because, as I say, I love Halloween. I really don't like being scared. <laughs> so I like the fun parts of Halloween. And I think my favorite memories are just how fallish and autumnal the weather is and the crunchy leaves and obviously candy is really fun. Just running around with my friends That night, kind of having free reign of the neighborhood. I don't know, just feeling really like free and fallish. It's just so nostalgic, all of it. You know, that scene in Meet Me in St. Louis when they all dress up and they go trick or treating and they actually, the little girl gets in trouble, but I just love that scene. I picture it when I picture Halloween. I
2: picture the Halloween scene in To Kill a Mockingbird Mm -hmm. when she's coming home through the woods. I think it was Halloween night. It was a fall night, but that's so nostalgic to me. And it reminds me of when I was a kid and you talk about not wanting to be afraid, but one of the things we did on Halloween, which was super scary, but for some reason thrilling and we love to do it, was we would go several blocks, gosh, up to the top of a hill and visit the Linville graveyard. It was called. It was really, really old. It had graves in it from the 1700s and these old worn headstones that were like, could you couldn't even like read them anymore, just barely. Oh yeah, you know, in the daytime, certainly not at night. But we would go up there and just scare ourselves to
1: death. <laughs> but. It was just
2: something we did. So did you do
1: that like in general or was that just at Halloween?
2: Well, I think we'd go up there in the daytime sometimes. Yeah. It seemed like it was something necessary to do on Halloween night. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that's actually a great transition to today's conversation, which is about cemeteries or a certain type of cemetery and specifically a Conservation Cemetery, which is a topic that I have heard a little about up until recently and just more and more about more recently. And I I think it's a really pertinent discussion to everything else we talk about here on the podcast. And I'm really excited to bring this discussion to our audience. I just had such a lovely time talking with Heidi and I learned so much. And I'm wondering what stood out to you, mom, about this conversation.
2: I think Heidi was so articulate,
1: in her vision Mm
0: -hmm.
2: of bringing people more in touch with their surroundings, with nature, not only in life, but in death as well. Mm -hmm. And also in making that accessible to more people, Mm -hmm. that death is not this separate thing that's closed off, far away, untouchable. It's Mm -hmm. something you interact with every day in these beautiful landscapes she's talking about during this episode.
1: Yeah, you know, it's just occurring to me in this moment as we're talking that so much of what we talk about on this podcast is the industries that are between us and our very natural everyday experiences and death is just another one of those things i mean i guess the fact that it is inherently uncomfortable and sad And all of those things, you know, it's unknown. We don't really know how to deal with it. It's easy to give that power away to literally an industry of, well, this is what you do. This is the casket Mm -hmm. you buy. This is how you do the thing. And granted, you know, religious ceremonies, depending, of course, that's a separate conversation. But really today we're talking about the physical parts of our body. What happens when we are gone and what happens with that relationship of the body and the ground. And it's just so fascinating really moving i thought this conversation was very moving
2: yeah and as we know from learning history in school every culture has its own rituals and methods of dealing with after death And what to do with the body and the beliefs inherent in all that. And there's all different rituals and beliefs and traditions. And as we move into a time here when climate change is so very present and with us and in our thoughts and in our decisions about what we're going to do, it just seems really relevant and timely to think about for our practice to be more in partnership with nature than in separation or opposition to it.
1: Right. So for something to be dealt with as opposed to something yeah. that can be done too. And she mentioned a few times that the practice of a natural burial or a conservation burial being in a way an opportunity to spend more time in that space with that loved one in a way that we don't get. When we put up these separate days, literally, thats like logistics that separate us from right.
2: our loved ones that have passed. Yeah, as in any
1: practices in our
2: modern culture. It's recent. It's only in our recent history that you would make a phone call right after someone died and have the body taken away and sure. all this out of your hands from there. So yeah. in a way, this is my, maybe a hearkening back yeah to earlier traditions and certainly an interesting conversation it brings up lots of questions lots of feelings lots of uncertainties Mm -hmm. but certainly one worth worthy of having here on our program as we talk about
1: the good dark. yeah (laughs) so enjoy this conversation and have a happy halloween weekend everyone happy sawaying
0: I'm Heidi Hennepel, and I'm one half of a team called Land Matters. And we work out of Durham, North Carolina. And we have been working in the field of green burial for the past five years. Coming to that field as conservation professionals, my business partner Jeff Maston and I have been longtime friends. And in the course of our professional lives, had personal events that really helped sort of turn our attentions more towards conservation that has a lot of community impact. And this element of green burial, and we refer to it as conservation burial, which I can explain at greater length, is one of the ways in which we think people can be in nature, connect with nature, have personal relationships in nature, with nature, deepen their understanding of nature, deepen their understanding of themselves. They're just very transformational experiences when we talk with folks who've been involved in green burial projects. So that's a simple introduction of who I am and happy to take
2: more questions to get to
0: some of those more specifics.
2: Yeah, so what brought you to the conservation burial effort? Was there some aha moment you mentioned? some family experiences or was there something that pointed you in this direction specifically?
0: Yeah, I love that question because I do think that there are moments in our lives when we have that aha happen to us. And very conveniently, I suppose, it happened to me around the age of 50, where I'd been working in conservation and in the larger picture of conservation, working for a national conservation organization. And many of your Listeners may know about lots of these conservation organizations like the Sierra Club or the Nature Conservancy or the Trust for Public Land. Those are all the really large groups, but I had also been working with many of the smaller local conservation organizations in communities. Those groups are called land trusts, and not very many people know about land trusts, but they're wonderful nonprofits, generally started by very passionate community citizens who want to protect their beautiful lands or waterways or native habitat. They're just really tremendous organizations working in communities doing this really important community work. And I was working for a number of them in the Southeast. And in 2015, my mother was diagnosed with a terminal illness. And that professional life of mine, I really had to sort of put up on the shelf. Luckily, I was in a situation where they had lots of family leave. And so I was able to pause my career in order to become full-time caregiver for my mom. And we brought her into our home for her final months and tried to surround her with as much family and friends and positive experiences and good food and slowing down of life too to just really focus on what was important and meaningful to her. And that experience has really been at the front of where I am today, I think, because within that experience, I happened to notice that my mother really didn't want to talk about death. That's not a topic that we generally lean into. And she absolutely couldn't go there, wouldn't go there. And I respected that after much turmoil of my own, but I also struggled with that because death was all around us. Death had permeated my home. Some of my kids were still at home and it was just part of our conversation every day, but I just couldn't get anywhere in the conversation with her. And so I came out of that experience feeling as if I really wanted to figure out how to help people have these conversations, how to start these conversations. No, we don't need to sit in them all day, but it's so important, I think, to share with your loved ones your thoughts about what you think you want for yourselves towards end of life, and most importantly, what you want to do with your body after you're gone, and that's a decision that many people don't even know that they have to make, but Mm -hmm. that came out of the experience and was pretty much the aha for me.
2: Yeah, it's just not something you have on your list of things to do that day. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or the next day or the next. (laughs) It's
0: not comfortable. We actually don't know very much about what's possible. And it seems, I think, now we have the internet and you can find out lots of different things are possible. But back in my time, there were sort of limitations. You were either cremated or or you went into a formal cemetery. And my mom had told my husband that she wanted to be cremated. And I think that that's actually, I know for a fact that more of us in the United States are seeking cremation than ever because it's number one, people think it's the most economical way. It's the cleanest, simplest way to go. But people also think it's the most environmental way to go. And that's where the conservation burial movement comes in is we're really trying to help people understand that there's actually another option and that's green burial. And there are a number of different kinds of green burial nowadays. There's body decomposition, which originated out in Washington state and is starting to make its way across country. There's aquamation, which is a form of cremation that happens through water. And then there's green burial as, as we're practicing, which is simply returning our bodies to the earth in ways that we used to do for centuries before embalming came along.
2: May I ask, can you go back a minute? And I think there's this assumption that cremation is the most environmentally sound thing to do. You just, you know, you're cremated and then you have the ashes and they can be put anywhere and they go back into the earth. So if you'd explain some of the issues with that, that make it maybe not what we think it is. In terms
0: of cremation. There's so much information online. People could really do a deep dive if they want to get very technical about it. I tend to paint sort of a broad stroke, Mm -hmm. partly because our focus is really on natural burial. So there are folks in the green burial movement who are really trying to move people beyond cremation to see that there is this other option for burial. We feel it's very much a personal choice. And so if you are interested in cremation, make sure you do your research. It generally takes three to four hours to burn a body in a crematorium. There are lots of fossil fuels that must be used for that to happen. And then there are also toxins that can be released into the environment. So that's sort of a big broad Mm -hmm. paintbrush where we feel that's less of an interest for conservation types such as ourselves who are really looking for ways that we're reducing fossil fuels and being more thoughtful about what we're placing into the ground. So you can take cremated remains and you can Scatter them. People do this all the time. You can pour them into waterways. There are certain restrictions around that, so people would want to look into that before assuming that you can just toss them into the nearby river. We're really helping to try and create places for where people can bring their cremated remains. I don't know if you've read all the stories about the number of folks, the tourists. Numbers that have been reaching our state parks and our national parks, especially during COVID. And that kind of impact over and over again is damaging over time. And I think states and even our federal government sometimes are having Concerns for where's the money going to come from to help support these great, wonderful places. And if people are also spreading their ashes in all of these different places over time, that just becomes more impactful to those places. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to help people rethink what a cemetery looks like. Mm -hmm. And instead of headstones and a manicured lawn that feels sometimes a little bit empty of people, Mm -hmm. we're trying to envision nature preserves, where within the nature preserve is a trail network for people to walk and hike on there their picnic tables. And sometimes in some of these, there are existing buildings that were on these properties that are being repurposed for gathering spaces. Sometimes there are just the way the rocks are formed in a particular part of the land. You, you step into that space And with the trees rising above, you can just sense that it's a sacred space already without having to introduce something else into it. And that's really what we're trying to do is find these places around the country where there are special natural landscapes already existing and protect them. Number one to create a nature preserve, and then number two to enable green burial to happen within them. It's new,
2: yeah. It's different. So, tell me what that might look like. Let's just say let's have a hypothetical natural area space, mm-hmm. and it is a designated natural conservation burial space, and people are in there interacting. And you know, we don't have the rows and the headstones and the the numbers and all that that we think of when we think of a cemetery. So. What does that look like? It just looks like a park. You don't know where people are buried. Could you be picnicking there on where someone's buried? Sure. It's a great question. It can look just
0: like a park. Mm -hmm. It can. Generally speaking, the burial areas will be designated in certain parts of the park Mm -hmm. or the property, so that there is always a general sense of respect for the people who are buried there. You could be walking on a trail and you could suddenly notice without really seeing it stand out, but you could notice down on the ground, a rock that has someone's name on it, essentially their grave marker right there. Um, most conservation burial grounds that we work with use natural products to memorialize the people who are resting there. Every single burial plot or grave site, will have a marker that is recorded by the cemetery and those records are kept in perpetuity, just like any other cemetery. So generally speaking, what we like to say is, for example, I'll give you the example of Stem, which is the project that I'm working on here in the Triangle area in North Carolina. We have, for the last four years, been seeking a particular property that feels evocative of this place, mm-hmm. um, the Piedmont region of North Carolina, which might not be too different from the Piedmont region of Virginia as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Very similar. And you all probably know what that looks like Mm -hmm. since you all have your own land but a place that where you step on the land and, and you can you feel the contours of the hills and the fields You see the woodlands off in the distance, and you can already sort of imagine what they look like inside, you know, ferns bursting out of each little hillock, the trees that have fallen over, and the little sproutings of other trees and and shrubs that are surrounding that, the rocks that might also be in that landscape that were once moved from a field by a farmer in times past and are placed over in the woodland area because they weren't going to be using that part of the property. There might be some barns, some old barns or the smokehouse in North Carolina. We had a lot of tobacco that was dried out. So we have a lot of those little tobacco barns. Those features are essentially what we've been looking for in terms of a place that gives off that sense of place. And that is where you can walk and you smell it and it smells like home. You hear the birds that are so familiar to you from your neighborhoods. You can touch the tops of grasses or feel beside a shrub. It's a real sensory place for people. And that's what we've been looking for and what we have found this year and what we're hoping to build out for folks in this area. But this is how these have gotten started in other parts of the country too, where a particular landscape specific to that area is valued and respected and honored in the protection of that piece of property, and then inviting community to come in and be present in that through the act of burial, but also present with picnicking and weddings and hikes and celebrations, finding a way to weave in life and death. In that very way that I was referencing earlier, where I so badly wanted to have a conversation with my mom about this part of our relationship and our life together. And it felt like just a missed opportunity. So I'm looking to create a place where others can have some of that possibility in their relationship with their families.
1: That is so fascinating. It's such a lovely concept.
2: What I'm wondering is the last generation or two, when, say, typical rural American community... They might just have their burial ground beside the church, or maybe some people would have a special place on their land where people were buried. So what prevents someone these days from like, if you've got land, just say, oh, that tree right over there, that's where we're going to be. Can you do that? People
0: can bury on their own property and people do. There's nothing limiting you from doing that except your own state laws. So we always recommend that people are certain to look into their state laws around cemetery building and ownership as well as their local county laws. So cemeteries are an interesting business. Every single state writes its own laws for how a cemetery should operate. Mm -hmm. So what, what is good in Virginia might not necessarily be right for North Carolina versus what's happening in Michigan or Massachusetts. We've been learning more and more about all of these different cemetery laws according to the different projects that we've been working on throughout the country. Right now, we're really focused on North Carolina's laws, and I love it that you suggested that this is so much like that cemetery right next to the church. That's what we're hoping to create, in a sense, is a cemetery that other churches can use without having to think about having to care for it themselves. This is a whole other tangent here, but going down the whole path of how do we continue to take care of what we already have? How do municipal cemeteries find the resources to continue to mow the lawns and invite people in for experiences in them? This is a big question around the sustainability issues that you all talk a lot and that we care about as well. We're looking to create a place that exists more naturally. So we're not going to have necessarily a path to every single person's grave, but there will be pathways throughout the Preserve for people to experience the wholeness of it. We're really trying to help people think about this as what you're contributing to with your death and your contribution to this place becomes a gift for the whole community and for your family and friends to return to over and over again because it's the experience of you. Because of you, this place exists.
1: Wow, that's so beautiful. So I have a couple of technical questions. So, Blue Stem Cemetery that you're talking about. You're calling a blue stem cemetery. Will it be designated? Is it designated as a park or preserve land, or it, can it be designated as a cemetery? I guess that's very specific to North Carolina. Also,
0: it's very specific to North Carolina. Okay. We're really calling it a place of worship.
1: Okay, a place
0: that. The entire space is a place of worship where we come and invite anyone into this place of worship in sort of a similar way, I suppose, to some of those large cathedrals in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone can go in and sit down at a bench and have their personal spiritual interaction with their higher order. We expect that same possibility for people entering into Blue Stem as a nature preserve. And then the cemetery is a portion of the nature preserve where we have designed specific areas within that property that are best suited for burial. Burial can't occur everywhere. So I should scroll back and suggest that in some places, even if a family owns land, they might not be able to bury a full body in particular parts of the property. It just might be too rocky or there might be too much water on the property. So burying cremated remains really isn't much of a problem on people's personal property. But in the cemetery that we're planning for, we're going to have very designated areas for full body or cremated
1: remains. So, and one more technical question about this full body natural burial. I've read on your website, it's really like you pick a quilt or a special piece of fabric that you want to be wrapped in. And is that really what else entails this natural burial?
0: So this is one of my favorite parts of the conversation. I think you all might be really interested in this as well. I can imagine members of your community be very interested in this. I had always thought, oh, we always have to go into a box, but that's not the case at all. And The more, I don't know if you're familiar, there's a fairly modern phrase about death positivity, and there's an entire movement around death positivity, and there are any number of very creative craftspeople who are making some really beautiful products for this very purpose. And I think that's such an opportunity for people, too, when families are grieving the sudden loss of a beloved Or, you know, someone has lived a very long life and you want to honor them in some way. One more beautiful way than to be participant in creating the shroud or a quilt or even wooden materials. You can be buried in anything that's biodegradable. So different kinds of woods can be used as long as they biodegrade. And then what I've found particularly fascinating for me, especially with friends who are really interested in textiles, is this opportunity to create just gorgeous linen shrouds, simple shrouds. That's another element that's really important to us is simple is beautiful. It's why we don't want to introduce a whole lot more onto the land because we already believe, as our tagline says, that nature is enough. Mm -hmm. And so a simple shroud... Wrapped, People use different sort of ribbons to wrap the body in these shrouds and then covered in flowers is about as beautiful as I think it gets. And it's a way to honor our loved one. It's also just a way to honor Mother Nature in that you're not having to introduce all kinds of excess into the ground.
1: Wow. It's amazing. You just dig a hole and put them
0: in it? We dig a hole, generally three and a half feet deep, and then the body is laid into the ground. Many of the conservation burial grounds we work with use either ropes to lower the body into the ground. It's an extraordinary ritual, and it's an extraordinary experience for family members to start their healing journey, is the way I think of it. When I think about how traumatic it was for me in my own mother's experience to lose her. And then to be almost robbed of an opportunity to sit with her or to be participant in something, you know, I don't know if you all are doers. Some of us are real doers, (laughs) but to be participant in something that traditionally we participated in forever, Mm -hmm. but Modern life has made it so that we think that, oh, this is when you call the funeral home. This is when they come in and whisk the body away. And that doesn't have to be that way. You can do the work yourself. You can work in conjunction with a funeral home if they're willing to serve as a guide. You also can contract with home funeral guides who can help guide you in that process and it's just a tremendous experience we've witnessed for families friends for complete strangers even this is something also beautiful you know we people could be having a ceremony within one of these nature preserves specific to their family but someone else in the community might have chosen that day to go for a hike Mm -hmm. and they're walking you know sort of beside or nearby maybe can see Some of the experience aren't necessarily invited into it, but it's just a way for people to get that little bit closer to death Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't feel
2: so scary, but Mm -hmm. feels really natural
1: to who we are. That's so powerful.
2: I know that in past generations, preparation of the body after death, before burial, was a very important time, and you hear about the lying in, you know, the body would be somewhere in the home mm-hmm. for people to come sit and be with and view and all that, but as you were saying a moment ago, now the usual protocol is the death has happened, so you make a phone call and then the body's taken away. Mm-hmm. So is that dictated by law? I mean, you just said that doesn't have to happen. Is it? Do you have to make special arrangements? I mean, there's a lot of logistics. There's
0: so many particulars and logistics exactly that we don't actually no. Yeah.
2: A gray area in there.
0: There is a lot of gray area, Exactly. And I think what we always advise because we are not attorneys, so we can't stand legally behind our experience, but we have experience in a number of different states and with our colleagues throughout the country working with families. Number one is there's so much possibility to do your own research now. I think it's always helpful to be thinking about what funeral home might you work with if something were to happen in the future for any one of your family members. There are a number of sort of modern funeral homes coming online that are thinking more holistically around funerals and burial. And so that could be a possibility for people. There are also a lot of folks in our area who have recognized the value that green burial can bring to their clientele. And so they're doing their own research and work to understand who is operating in the field. I would recommend that wherever your listeners are, that they look into what's possible for them, number one, through the state, and then also through county laws. There are also these wonderful people called Home Funeral Guides. Sometimes they're also referred to as death doulas yeah. who accompany family members through this process. And they can also guide you on the specifics and the logistics. We understand that for North Carolina, if it were now and my mom were in my home and she died, I could hold her here in my home for three days mm-hmm. and then she would need to be buried or she would need to go to a funeral home that has some sort of refrigeration process to in order to... To hold her body, uh, keep her body chilled. Mm-hmm. But individuals, family members can chill bodies on a particular type of ice, and they can hold the body there in the home if they wanted to open the, the experience up to other family and friends. And those are powerful experiences, just mm-hmm. extraordinary. Not for everyone, yeah. but for people who have the courage for people who have the desire for family members who are willing to offer that experience to their loved ones. It's just extraordinary. It's such a learning opportunity. And I personally think it's such a healing opportunity for folks that because the topic is so difficult, we don't spend time thinking about mm-hmm. But. When it does happen to you, when you have lost a beloved, the opportunity to just have that little bit more time with them, even Mm -hmm. if they're not fully here, Mm -hmm. is very rich
2: and full of possibility. So people that you know that have done the full home funeral burial thing, what is or what are the possibilities for the body preparation that a family could do themselves? Right. So that's an outstanding question to ask. And that's where we're going to have to figure out
0: who in your community might have the answer to that. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I am not, at the moment, I have not participated in that. I know there are people who use different oils. Mm-hmm. There is washing of the body that mm-hmm. occurs. I have a good friend who is part of the Jewish tradition. And And they have this extraordinary ritual that she has been leading for many, many years that is extraordinary work. That is also very sacred work. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like I'm the right person to ask, to try yeah. to answer any of those questions. But let's make room for you to find yeah. someone who can. Yeah. And, and if you need some suggestions, I have friends in North Carolina who do that work. Yeah. So I'd be happy to recommend people. But I feel that that's out of my league.
1: Of course. So your, your work comes in when the body is prepared to really... For that last step to be put into the ground.
0: That's right. And I can speak more to that. So we receive the body. We make Mm -hmm. arrangements with the family. Then we receive the body. And depending on how the family wants the experience, the service experience, Mm -hmm. the burial experience to go, we guide them on that. We can transport the body to the spot and have the body resting there so that family can come to the burial spot, or we would make it possible that people could cart the body over to the burial spot. That This is how it's done in a number of different places. There's an extraordinary conservation burial ground up in, outside of Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. and they are fun to watch on social media. So if your listeners would like to follow some of their work They are called Larkspur Conservation. They do a practice that's very much a part of their experience where they lay flowers at the base of the grave. And they almost like they build a flower mosaic. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's quite beautiful, and that's very specific to their practice. We at Blue Stem we won't be doing that particular practice. We invite people to do that if they would like to do that, but we won't be offering that as part of Blue Stem services. There's all kinds of ways that people receive the body and then engage with the families and how they want to have the service and the remembrance of the person who's buried there.
2: So. You've spoken a lot to the sort of, I guess, emotional reasons or non-tangible reasons to think about an alternative form of burial. What are some of the more practical and logistical ones? You've spoken about things to think about when you're thinking about cremation, which is what you said most people are going towards these days. But why would a person like, why wouldn't they just do the traditional thing, call the funeral home, you know, buy your casket have the visitation in that place. I mean, what are some reasons that you give people for just thinking about it a little differently?
0: Yeah, well, I think people, I'll say there are about four different reasons that I see that people are choosing to think about green burial or natural burial. Number one is that we're much more conscious of our environmental footprint than we've been in the past. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in particular these last two years, with so much happening in climate change, and so much happening with COVID and death. There's Death is really at the forefront here mm. of many conversations. I don't know if that's necessarily the case for your listeners, but certainly for me mm. and my age group, our friends, it has been frequently a part of our conversations. Either friends have lost family members or family members are struggling with the disease, or people have simply gone to to the effort to figure out what their end of life choices are going to be. So the number one thing is really this environmental awareness and, and wanting to do it differently, not necessarily seeing a cemetery in a city as the place that they think they want to be resting in forever. I think a lot of folks think too that If they were to cremate, then those ashes can just be scattered willy-nilly off of their favorite viewpoint at a state park. And that is always happening. I think sometimes some state parks are becoming a little bit more conscious of that, and they may have actual rules about that. So folks would want to check the state park before they assume that that might be a possibility for them. I think people also are looking for something that's not fussy, that's Mm -hmm. simple. And that doesn't burden their families with a lot of choices. But my mom said, I just want to be cremated and thought that the decision making ended there. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, we all think that the decision making ends there. But there's actually one more decision to make, which is, well, what? do the people who have your cremated remains do with them mm-hmm. afterwards? Because you probably have heard just as we have heard so many stories of friends and family who have decided suddenly they're moving out of their home and like, oh, but wait, we've got to go find grandma. Yeah. <laughs> Where did grandma go? I know she was in that particular box, Yeah. In- and, and then the memory of where those loved ones remains actually live in the home has been sometimes a little sketchy for people. <laughs> so, um, this is just one more decision to make for your loved ones to say, OK, I want to be cremated. And this is where those cremated remains need to go. So that simple, unfussy, uncomplicated reasoning, I think is one more reason. You've heard me talk about how meaningful this ritual can be. And I think more and more people, especially baby boomers, I'll say, are really interested in having personal experiences for their loved ones when they go. They sometimes, and I'm hoping that part of my work is about Turning sometimes into all the time, want it to have some positive impact. And conservation burial is exactly how you can have a positive impact. Your remains become part of this beautiful landscape that's protected. They become the reason why this beautiful landscape has been protected. So I think that those are essentially some of the main reasons. There's also economics in some of the conservation burial grounds were. Uh, Many of us are working to figure out ways that this can be a more affordable option for people. One of the conservation burial grounds that we're affiliated with down in Florida very purposely makes the cost of burial in their cemetery equal to the cost of a cremation. That's not always possible for some of the other examples, but there's a real effort to try and make this accessible to everyone. Oh, thank you.
1: I'm interested in addition to more so your specific project with Blue Stem, what have been some of your, or what are some of the main challenges that you guys are facing in getting to this really amazing oasis that you've painted for us that I can't wait to see come to fruition?
0: Yes, you're so wise to ask about the challenges, Emma, because as you were pointing out earlier, any of these grand ideas that we have in the world do come with many challenges. And for certain, there are lots of challenges in conservation burial. For us personally, some of the challenges are financially. It does cost to create places like this. And in North Carolina right now, particularly in the Triangle Triad region, which is where we're located essentially between this property that we have found is actually in some ways between Greensboro and Durham, if people know that reference. The Triangle in North Carolina is Durham, Raleigh, and Chapel Hill. And now, with so many more people moving into the area, all of those metropolitan areas are just starting to bleed into one another. It's why you often hear people talk about Raleigh, Durham. We aren't one place with two names, we are two very distinct cities. But because we have the population is just growing so exponentially around this area, there is that sense or a blended community. Land costs it's expensive. We have looked for many years. We had conversations with many different landowners. Some landowners were pretty interested in this. Some actually started to see the goblins and the ghouls mm-hmm. and the zombies. Um, so it's a new concept. That's actually a challenge. And then I will say also another challenge is the structure under which we will be operating. We're creating a nonprofit for for Bluestem and we are doing that partly because we are nonprofit people. We've been working for nonprofits most of our lives and we see it as a real community asset. And so we're hoping to create this vision and this place that ultimately will be run by members of the community serving on a board. That's another challenge. It takes a lot of work to build those and lift them off the ground and find the right people to sit in the seats. And then there are challenges with zoning and with laws in different states. So different states will have different requirements and restrictions that you have to work with. We have a lot of folks who get very excited about this idea and contact us and say, oh, I'm going to make one of these happen in my backyard. And we really subscribe to specific standards for conservation and also for cemetery operations. And the place where we check back on those standards are either the standards that land trusts operate under or the standards that were defined by the Green Burial Council. So that's a good place. If your listeners are intrigued with this, that's a great place to start their exploration. The Green Burial Council is a national nonprofit that serves to educate people about green burial. And it's helped to define standards for three different types of green burial. And I'll just say a little bit about that because I think that's probably interesting for folks. There are three different categories. The first one is called hybrid cemeteries. Hybrid cemeteries or hybrid green cemeteries are what you would find in any town or city that has a conventional cemetery, but that has reserved a portion of that property for green burial. So green burial is mixed in with the way we have been doing burial for years with embalming and caskets and steel and vaults. Then there are natural cemeteries, and those have been designed specifically to be simple, small where green burial can occur, and no other embalming or metal caskets or steel or vault occurs in that space. They're all natural. And then there are conservation cemeteries, which is what we're doing, which is essentially a natural cemetery, but going a step further on conservation land. So part of the purpose of that cemetery is establishing it in a place that's being protected forever and is slightly larger. So conservation cemeteries generally are around 20 acres in size. They can be five acres if they're adjacent to other protected land. But that's part of the reasoning behind conservation cemeteries is our interest is in seeing more land protected with the cemetery.
2: So I'm fascinated by what I'm hearing. Never heard of this before, but it's just sort of coming to my mind as you're talking. The overlap between the principles of permaculture and Mm -hmm. burial. Do you know of anybody that's working with that or or implementing permaculture principles into these areas that have been set as conserved for this purpose? That's a really
0: good question, and I think it's possible I do know of someone i I probably can't name them because sure. I don't know for specifics. Yeah. But it's great to make that connection. And that's partly what we hope our vision will evolve with is we're looking at 90 acres. It that's a significant property. Yeah. And there's portions of that property that will allow for burial. There's portions of the property that will be available for trails. There's also portions of the property that are in agricultural fields. And it's possible that we are able to develop a partnership somewhere down the road where someone would want to take care of those lands we love to see that mm-hmm. where these compatible activities are operating side by side and bringing life into the project because this is the other thing is we want to create a place that's for the living and the
1: dying yeah. it
0: is indicative of how we're always living and dying dying every day.
1: That's amazing.
2: So can you ever see a scenario where, for instance, there's a natural burial area and then it has an orchard in it? So that's actually producing food. So it's like full circle or does that just freak people out or is that a thing?
0: (laughs) It's a great question. And I I love that you asked, does it freak people out? I think it does both. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I think it does freak some people out about uh-huh. that prospect. And I think it's also possible that there's a portion of blue stem that we've already been imagining fruit trees on. I'm not sure that it would be the first place where we would bury, but ultimately It could be a place where we bury. We think about these projects very long-term, way Mm -hmm. past our own lifetimes. So, you know, I'm a grandmother. I want to spend time with my grandkids. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much longer I have into actually running a cemetery, but I certainly want to create a place that can exist beyond my life and that others can pick up where we have started something. So I, I do think that there's lots of overlap with permaculture and considerations around that, especially as more and more land. Land is is a treasure. And that's part of one of the reasons why we're we've been so passionate about this ourselves in this area. We have so many people moving into this region and there's just more and more development and these landscapes are starting to disappear. Yeah. And where blue stem is currently planned is just this beautiful farming community. The families who have been farming there have been farming for four generations. And we want to try to protect that landscape as is, with knowing that it costs money to protect landscapes and costs money to keep things well stewarded. But that's where the cemetery comes in. It will help to support that stewardship
2: effort. Well, speaking of the beauty and value of the land, what does the good dirt mean to you?
0: The good dirt. I love that phrase. That's your phrase for your podcast. Yeah, yeah that's right? the name of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's funny. We all must have a really personal connection to dirt because when Jeff and I were first thinking about this project, I kept saying, oh, we can just tell people to get in the dirt with us. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. that's wonderful. (laughs) That was going to be, that was its very, very early tagline. stem, get in the dirt with us. And then some friends said to us, oh, that might be rushing things a little bit. (laughs) assuming too much. So it's become, it's more graceful, I hope. Nature is enough. But, you know, the good dirt for me really is Mother Nature. The good dirt is what we owe her in taking care of her. And what she has provided for us for centuries and eons and what we want to keep possible for the next generations. I have an almost three-year-old granddaughter and it stresses me out to hear about our planet. And yeah. so what can I be doing today today? that can make for a place where there's clean air to breathe and fresh drinking water and fields that we can farm and fields where we can walk and bury our loved ones and places to play in, because she loves to be outside and she will go into any stretch of woods and just start running. Mm. And I think to myself, I've never quite said this to my daughter, but I think to myself, she is a product of this family. That she just loves to be in nature. That's what the good dirt means
2: to me. Oh, that's lovely. Yes. And there's the saying, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's just really the whole idea of the natural green burial is just bringing the whole thing full circle. Right, you know, our tradition of putting people in boxes and steel and all this sort of thing is kind of a denial of that. You know, there's all kinds of beliefs and traditions that go into this. I'm not, I'm not questioning that, or but when you really think about it, that's the ultimate journey. And now there are reasons to practice that in a more intentional way. I guess I should okay. say because our world is changing and we do need to do our part with yeah. our responsibility to the earth and the good dirt.
0: Yeah. Well, and like you said at the very beginning, we have been given this opportunity to really slow down Mm -hmm. and think about how we are in the world. And here's an opportunity to slow down what happens immediately after death. There's this whisking away. And instead Mm -hmm. of that, there's actually an opportunity to sit with and be present in that person's life. Mm. Would you all allow me to read a poem? We would love that.
2: Yes, please.
0: Because there is a wonderful poem by this beautiful poet named Grace Butcher. And I think of this poem almost every day. And it fits for me in terms of what we're doing. If we could, like the trees, practice dying, do it every year just as something we do, like going on vacation or celebrating birthdays, It would become as easy a part of us as our hair or clothing. Someone would show us how to lie down and fade away as if in deepest meditation. And we would learn about the fine, dark emptiness, both knowing it and not knowing it. And coming back would be irrelevant. Whatever it is the trees know when they stand undone, surprisingly intricate, We need to know also so we can allow that last thing to happen to us as if it were only any ordinary thing, leaves and lives falling away, the spirit complex waiting in the fine darkness to learn which way it will
1: go. Thank you. That was
0: beautiful. That was really beautiful. You said Grace Butcher? Grace Butcher. She's a favorite.
1: Oh, wow. We'll have to include that in our notes. Yes. Is there anything else, Heidi, that you want to leave with our audience? Or let's see, we've done a lot of name dropping, but maybe a little bit more specifics of where people can find you or anything else about if they're interested in any of this.
0: Sure. Number one, thank you so much just for the time together and the fun conversation. And thank you for your work that you're doing. Farmer, (laughs) And for your community. It just is lovely. And uh, I think so nourishing for all of us. So I think really, if you'd like to learn more about green burial in general, definitely look at the Green Burial Council. If you'd like to learn more about Conservation Burial, we helped form a nonprofit that is helping to educate people and provide resources and offers webinars and just general community of practice. And that's called the Conservation Burial Alliance. And then if you'd like to learn more about Blue Stem, you can look us up at bluestemcemetery.org. We're in the triangle and we're fundraising for the property right now. And we're hoping to open in the spring of next year. And if you'd like to learn more about us, we are Land Matters and you can find us at thelandmatters.com online.
1: Oh, that's a good name.
2: Yes. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show today, Heidi. We look forward to speaking with you again sometime soon.
2: Yes. Wonderful. It's really, really fascinating and informative discussion. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Well, we hope that you enjoyed this conversation, and like we said in the beginning of the episode, we hope that you have a lovely and safe Halloween weekend. And we'd also love to remind you that you can join us anytime in the Almanac at ladyfarmer.com. That's our online, private Lady Farmer community where you can meet other Good Dirt listeners and members of the Lady Farmer community and share in discussion, ideas, inspiration. We post every week different recipes, how-tos, articles. It's a really fun place to be. And if you haven't seen yet, our Slow Living Virtual Retreat coming up in December, we would love to see you there as well. I do wanna say thank you again to Heidi. Yes. For a really
2: relevant and interesting and heartfelt conversation, which I really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. Have a beautiful saway and all. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. you like listening to the good dirt? I hope you do because you're here listening to it. And are you looking for more good dirt in your life and a community of slow living enthusiasts to connect with all while supporting your favorite sustainable living podcast? Well, We're so excited to offer the Almanac. It's our private, slow-living community network where we share workshops, activities, articles, essays, recipes, and so much more that align with our community's sustainable, slow, seasonal way of living. As a member, you'll have access to information sharing and
2: discussions on numerous topics of interest through online threads and frequent live virtual gatherings. Members receive access to a virtual community of hundreds of other slow-living enthusiasts, as well as Almanac-exclusive events, workshops, recipes, playlists, online gatherings, and a book club. We offer seasonal activities and ongoing discussions on a variety of topics to guide you on your slow-living journey. Also included is 10% off the Lady Farmer Marketplace year-round. Numerous resources and more, and discounted Lady Farmer events, including... The Slow
1: Living Retreat. As a good dirt listener, we are excited to offer you 20% off your monthly membership and three months free, which is basically an entire season, if you sign up for the year. So go ahead and go to LadyFarmer.com slash community to sign up with this special offer just for good dirt listeners. Yay, that's LadyFarmer.com slash community to sign up for 20% off a monthly membership of the Almanac or 3 months free if you sign up for an entire year. That's ladyfarmer.com/community.